going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? You're listening to This Week in Sports. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. It is Saturday, August 20th, 2022. It's been a long week, and I had a lot going on yesterday, so I wasn't able to get the show done yesterday. Um, to recap, I had work all week. I was off yesterday, so I got in a nice round of golf with my brother and his wife. Um, I'm starting to really hone in my game a little bit, getting a lot more reps in playing more than I probably ever have in my life. And it's starting to pay off. Although this summer something happened with my, with my uh, swing and my shot was all over the place. So I'm getting that back to a decent point. I'm still not hitting my irons the way I want or taking like a regular swing. It's weird to explain, but I'm um, doing okay. I had probably my best single nine on the front yesterday, shot a 41 no double bogeys. I was either, uh, I birdied a par three with a long putt, and I think I parred one or two other holes, and not, not too many pars on the front, but I just, I stayed out of trouble. I made a long putt and a huge chip save for bogey on two holes to to uh, keep that streak alive for no double bogeys. And then the wheels just came off on the back nine, which was a little bit harder. So I finished with a, an 88 uh, birdied, came so close to an eagle on 18. My chip just off the green pin high came within a, an inch or two of going in the cup. Uh, so I tapped in for birdie there. So it was a good finish. And uh, my brother was having a rough day, but he made a long par putt on 18 to shoot a 99. He's still getting used to uh, things. He, he learned to play a lot later in life than I did. So uh, he's just happy when he can shoot under 100. So it was fun. And then, of course, last night, I came home from golf. It was late around 6 o'clock, got some uh, food at Chipotle, and then came home, ate that, um, watched the Yankees lose yet again, and Madden came out yesterday. The official release of Madden 23 with John Madden himself on the cover. I had to download the digital copy of that on my Xbox, and I was playing that pretty much all night, trying to level up in Madden Ultimate Team so I can unlock, once you hit level four, you can unlock, it's basically called Draft Champions that me and uh, Priyank always play religiously against each other. It's like fantasy, you draft your own team. It starts off with three options. You get to pick a coach to start off, and then each round, it's three players, and you pick and it gives you, you know, offensive linemen, running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, defensive players, and you try to stack and build your best team. You get five uh, plays with each team, and then your team basically resets, and then you have to draft again. So we religiously like to play that. We didn't get to play it. I got to level five finally, um, figured it all out, got to level five, and was able to unlock it at close to like 4.30 in the morning. So it was brutal. Uh, so I went to bed, woke up today. Um, hammered the show notes down for this episode, uh, really took a deep dive, got everything set in order of what I wanted to talk about, 
and we're pretty much ready to jump in now. So without further ado, we're going to get into the Deshaun Watson stuff. Albert Pujols has been on a tear. The Yankees, I just said, have been on a terrible slide since the All-Star break. The Mets lost their first um, divisional series of the season to the Braves. Uh, the Braves are a scary team to watch out for. Then, of course, there's the incident with Marcelo Zuna. Um, Tiger Woods is in the news. Uh, really, golf itself, again, is in the news. So all that and much more right here on episode 182 of This Week in Sports. Let's get the show on the road. And of course, before I start the show, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, my little big league teammates or whatever you want to call them in MLB The Show, the league that I'm in. Um, I know the guys like to listen, so give them another shout out this week. I'm on a six-game winning streak with my Yankees. That's the team I got um, for the fall ball season. So I'm on a six-game winning streak. I'm like a couple, three, three and a half games back of uh, Brian, who um, is in first place right now. So shout out to those guys, Scrawns and everybody else over there in Little Big League. And now, without further ado, we can jump right in to the show. Here we go. And we're going to start. This was pretty much breaking news yesterday or Thursday. Uh, Deshaun Watson, his suspension has been increased from six to 11 games. It was not the full season that the NFL was looking for, but they were successful in their appeal. The League and Players Association reached, excuse me, a settlement for uh, discipline on Watson for, of course, him violating the league's personal conduct policy. If this was any other person in America, you know, that's not a billionaire or multimillionaire, if this was your average Joe, they'd be in prison. So to go along with the 11-game suspension, Watson will also be fined $5 million and will be required to undergo evaluation and treatment. It's a joke. He was Guaranteed what two hundred thirty million when Cleveland signed him, so five million. It's a drop in a hat. It's nothing to him. But according to a tweet by Adam Schefter, he delved into this uh, a little bit deeper. He has to comply with eval and treatment recommendations of a third-party behavioral expert in order to be reinstated. So his reinstatement is contingent upon his compliance with that treatment plan. If he does not comply, his reinstatement could be delayed, plus he could obviously face further discipline. Now, Deshaun Watson himself did release a statement, and he said, I quote, I'm grateful that the disciplinary process has ended and extremely appreciative of the tremendous support I have received throughout my short time with the Browns organization. Bit of a long sentence. I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused. I take accountability for the decisions I made. My focus going forward is on working to become the best version of myself on and off the field and supporting my teammates however possible while I'm away from the team. I'm excited about what the future holds for me in Cleveland. It's a, really a little bit of a PR statement. It's, it's a blob statement. Um, so here's what I hope happens, because I I think the Browns made a 
an egregious mistake signing this guy, just deplorable, the actions um, that he enacted on these women. Now, granted, nobody put a gun to these women's head um, and, and, and told them to touch, you know, Deshaun Watson in certain places and, and whatnot. But at the same time, what he did was a crime and he's not facing proper punishment, in my opinion. So what I hope happens is that Jacoby Brissett or whoever else wins, you know, the starting job or ends up being the quarterback this season for the Browns can find huge success so we can all forget about Deshaun Watson. That way, when his suspension is over, nobody needs him anymore or wants him. So there's uh, I want to play a clip. This was Robert Griffin, the third on ESPN. I think this was maybe first take or get up. And here's what Robert Griffin, the third or RG three had to say. And this was really um, a sentiment that has been echoed by many. But this one, uh, the way he delivered it was pretty good. Take a listen. Powerful stuff. If you want to just reiterate one more time your take on this, how you wish this was handled. Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that. For the NFL, they made the best business decision for themselves. But this was an opportunity for them to stand up for women and say, you know what? We don't care if this drags out because this is our opportunity to say, women, we support you. We support you and we understand that his behavior, as ruled by Judge Sue L. Robinson, qualified as sexual assault, qualified as sexual misconduct. And we're not just going to go for a year. We might even go for longer than that. We're not going to go for a $5 million fine. We might even go for longer than that because there's no amount of games and no fine money that you can put on the feelings that these women have. And when I listened to his apology, Deshaun Watson wasn't apologizing for his behavior. He was apologizing for how his behavior made you feel. And we've all had somebody in our lives like that. And that's why I think he has no remorse and he has no contrition for what has happened. And I just want to pour out my heart for the women out there who have been affected because as a father of three daughters, soon to be four, I would never want my daughters to be exposed to any type of treatment, especially that type of treatment from a star player in one of the biggest leagues in the world. So there you have it. Um, delivery was great. He, he hit it out of the park on that one. And yeah, the NFL did have an opportunity and they, in my opinion, dropped the ball on that one. So hopefully we can move on and not let this whole Deshaun Watson thing be a distraction for the rest of the summer and into the football season. So the Big Ten TV deal, I have all the details laid out before me. I believe I spoke about this earlier last week or maybe two weeks ago um, when I when I talked about how they thought they had a deal in place with ESPN, but then they dropped out. And so here it is. They finally have their deal in place. It's a bit of a mess, but I sort of understand after you know taking a deep dive into all of this. So the conference will include six different networks. So games on the Big Ten, like Big Ten teams will be broadcast across six different networks. So every week when you're looking for Michigan, you're looking for Ohio State. For me, I'm looking for Rutgers. It might be on the Big Ten Network. It might be on Fox. It might be on CBS. So the, the they came to terms with CBS, Fox, NBC, and NBC Universal's Peacock. So that's the big hiccup right there is Peacock. So now you got to use a streaming service. And I hope to God Rutgers isn't on any of these Peacock um, vehicles because that's just annoying. It's never really live when you're streaming. And, it, it, you know, I, I might see tweets that are ahead of the action because it there's a huge delay on streaming, um, sometimes a minute 
or more. It it just depends, really. So that's annoying. And as well, like I said, they're going to be returning partners, uh, Big Ten Network and Fox Sports 1. So this will all begin July 1st, 2023, and it will run through the 2029-30 season. So per Brett McMurphy of the Action Network, the deals will earn the Big Ten between 7 and $8 billion with escalators that could bring the total value up to $10 billion. Oh, my God. It's really a historic um, networking uh, TV rights deal. Just incredible. Unprecedented. Uh, this, of course, all comes as the Big Ten. It, they're basically putting all their chips in the middle of the table. They are trying to become the premier conference in, you know, in college football in this country. They're trying. Uh, they're bringing in. They're not trying. They've already brought in USC and UCLA. They will join the conference as full time members in 2024. The Big Ten has also been notably trying to add Notre Dame, uh, but they will likely remain an independent at least for now. But this new NBC deal with the Big Ten could produce more Notre Dame games against other Big Ten teams since Notre Dame also has its own TV rights deal, uh, namely with NBC. So that's something to keep an eye on. And let's not forget the Big Ten has also been targeting Pac-12 teams, namely the big-time programs such as Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. This new deal makes it so Big Ten games will air virtually all day Saturday. During the college football season, starting with noon games on Fox, 3.30 games on CBS, and NBC in the prime time slot. So this is a big deal. The Big Ten is taking over the landscape in, in, in college football right now. And this is, this is going to alter the college football landscape forever, in my opinion, at least for the foreseeable future. All right, the PGA continues to clash with Live Golf, which doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon, and that is a huge problem for the PGA's bottom line. Tensions, of course, continue to rise. I've spoke about it on numerous occasions throughout the summer um, since this really started. Um, select top PGA Tour members, uh, they made headlines this week because they had a players-only meeting to rally support against Live amid new rounds of defectors. So this was all led by Tiger Woods. He apparently helped organize it while acting as like the de facto commissioner. He flew with his good buddy Ricky Fowler to Delaware to attend, which is, of course, where the BMW Championship is being held this week. The meeting lasted approximately three and a half hours was held at an off-course hotel and included the likes of Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and Jordan Spieth, among others. And from what many sources within the meeting said, it was just, it was a meeting of about the top 20 or so players on the PGA trying to talk and basically get on the same page. I mean, it's no surprise seeing as the PGA is clearly threatened. They've upped prize money, taken legal action, and are now calling emergency meetings led by Tiger, who we all know hates Live Golf because you you can only hate something if you turn down a reported $800 million, which is what was offered Tiger by the Saudis. $800 million, he turned it down. That obviously shows how much he hates this rival league. 
And look, I've said it repeatedly, Live Golf is a real threat. These guys should be worried. They have endless amounts of money, and it's a safe haven for lesser-known players that struggle to maintain their tour card and financial stability in the sport. And I saw recently Patrick Reed um, is suing uh, the PGA or or, or uh, it, it's uh, Brendan Shambly and um, the Golf Network or, or whoever, the PGA Tour, for defamation and all this other stuff. And he's seeking like $750 million. He, he cited uh, specifics that Shambly talked about how he he's taking blood money and yada, yada, yada. And Reed made it a point to state that he simply left because he wants to spend more time with his family. And while it's it, it's pretty much baloney that these guys are leaving for the money, it is a good point because there are much less events. I believe there's eight, this first iteration of Live Golf, they're going to add more. But on the PGA Tour, you have to maintain your card. You have to pay your way a lot of times. And these guys that are not in the top 150 or, or struggling on the Corn Ferry Tour, some of these guys, it's not a good enough living like these minor leaguers in baseball. They have to work other jobs, and it's very difficult to hone their craft when they constantly have to worry about losing their tour card and, and how are they going to pay for this trip to play in this tournament and qualifiers and this and that. And on the live, these guys can go, they can make six-figure salary. That's the key. They can make a salary. There's less tournaments. Everybody's making the cut. And it's a lot less stressful. So again, this is not going anywhere. But the more we talk about it, the better entertainment it is for all of us sports fans. All right, I left you guys last week pretty much talking about the New York Jets and Zach Wilson and how I believed he probably tore his ACL in that preseason game against the Eagles just because it was non-contact and it's the Jets and this is what happens. Luckily, we found out Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon that thankfully, Zach Wilson did not tear his ACL. It's pretty much best case scenario. It was just a meniscus tear, a slight tear, and a bone bruise. The timeline for Wilson's recovery is approximately two to four weeks. He had success, successful surgery on Tuesday. Of course, going in, many were stating that they, would, they wouldn't know until they got in there. It could have been worse, whatever, but it was exactly what they thought when they got in there. It was just what, they call, what they're calling a trim job. It wasn't a full repair or anything like that, so they didn't have to do a full repair. And it's a two- to four-week timeline, which puts him in jeopardy of missing week one. My guess is he will miss week one. Apparently, these guys are liking Joe Flacco. He's been killing it in practice. Garrett Wilson, the uh, 10th overall pick by the Jets, wide receiver out of Ohio State, said that Joe Flacco throws a more catchable ball than Wilson, which is a little bit concerning. But this makes for a good storyline. Joe Flacco playing against the team that he won a Super Bowl for in the Baltimore Ravens in week one. And then maybe we'll get Zach Wilson back by week two. Of course, Salah didn't rule out Wilson for, for week one, but that's just coach speak so they don't game plan fully for Joe Flacco. Um, but here's the problem. This is Zach Wilson now in his second year, um, and it's a bit concerning because he dealt with a PCL injury last year, if you can, if you can recall, 
and he missed four games, I believe, with the PCL injury. Now he's dealing with this. It's stunting his development. He's going to miss joint practices with the Falcons and the Giants because they play the Falcons on Monday night on ESPN. And he's missing crucial time with new players, new a, a new offensive players. Elijah Moore's only been there for a year. He hasn't had a full year with him. Uh, he's missing time with Garrett Wilson. He's missing time with his two new tight ends. And it's just getting to a point where the window is, is starting to close on Zach Wilson. I know it's only year two, uh, but the Jets are a team that are looked at as supposed to be taking a huge leap forward this year. Uh, here's what Brady Quinn said, a former quarterback that knows all too well what that hype means and, and what that hype can can do for someone. He had interesting words about Zach Wilson. I have not seen a quarterback get more love for doing less from the media than Zach Wilson in a long time. Mm. And it's, it's just it's really weird. I don't know if it's the desperation of the Jets media and fans wanting it to work. Once he elected for the draft, I was like, he's smaller. He's going to be subject to injury. I understand his last season, people really made a lot of the throws and things he did. It was a group of five schedule. He was playing with a much better team. And all those things, all the concerns, like it all played themselves out. The interception he threw in that game, it looked like day one. He stared down a target. And it was a Kaiser White and a picking it off. I'm going, that is as easy as it gets to the crib. My God, man. Like, are we all watching? Yeah. So he's not wrong. Um, a lot of the things he said, I do agree with. And if anyone knows, you know, it's him. And I do think it's funny that he is not, he talks about how he's not seen a, a quarterback that hyped up in a long time for doing nothing. Uh, yeah. Maybe yourself. Uh, he had a, an abysmal career with the Cleveland Browns did Brady Quinn. But no, uh, if anybody knows what they're talking about and can be an analyst and it's somebody you want to listen to, it's a former player at the highest level in that sport. Brady Quinn was a quarterback. He knows what it means to be a quarterback. And that's why I'm sure like RG3 now is going to be joining um, Monday night football or, or one of the vehicles, Thursday night, whatever it is. And he had great success. Early on in his career, did RG3 in the NFL. But I'm sure everybody's going to gonna look at it and say, oh, well, RG3 doesn't know what he's talking about because he was a bust in the NFL. That's nonsense. These guys played at the highest level. There are plenty of coaches and, 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 and you know, analysts and, and what have you that um, weren't absolute superstars. They always say um, catchers make really great baseball managers because catchers are very cerebral. They have to know the game inside and out. They have to call pitches, do all that stuff, right? And an example would also be Lawrence Frank in the NBA. The man never played basketball in college. He never played basketball. I don't even remember if he played basketball in high school, but there's plenty of stories out there where you don't have to have played the sport. Does it help? Of course. Does it give you a leg up? Absolutely. But Brady Quinn, just because he's talking crap about Zach Wilson, doesn't mean that he's not talking from experience himself or with absolute knowledge of the situation. And and as a Jets fan, I've seen it for two years. Zach Wilson is 100% being overhyped. Zach Wilson has been given, I will say this, has been given more weapons than Sam Darnold ever was. He's been given... Eh, coaches 
that are more um, likely to succeed than the previous regime that Sam Darnold had. So if he can't succeed with this group, then he's a bust and he's not going to make it on any team in the NFL. And we should all be worried. So here's what I would do. So the Jets are one of the most bet teams in the NFL in terms of their over five and a half win total on the season, right? And if I'm the Jets, and, and it makes sense, you bring in guys, the offense is supposed to be better. I just said Brees Hall uh, at the running back position, arguably the number one running back in the class. The Jets got him in the second round. Garrett Wilson, probably the number one wide receiver. Many had him as the number one wide receiver. They bring in Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson on the defensive end, get Carl Lawson back from injury. Like this team on paper should be 10 times better than last year. The problem is that rough schedule. Um, and, and it's going to be a tough one to climb out of after that first that first month or so. So here's what I would do if I'm if I'm general manager. I'm done with Zach Wilson because it's not even been two years. I've seen this song and dance before. Hurt in his rookie year. Now he's hurt again. The guy, Brady Quinn said it, he's undersized. He got hurt diving like nobody touched him. He, instead of going out of bounds or going down in a preseason game, he tried to make a play, which I have no problem with. Sala said, yes, he should have got out of bounds, whatever. If he's Tom Brady, yeah. But it's Zach Wilson. He's 22 years old or 23 years old, and he's in the prime of his career, second year. It's the first preseason game of the... There's no way what he did, that move, he should have been hurt. I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I played sports all my life, you know, right into college, and I never had a major injury like that. I broke my thumb once because my dumb ass, you know, held a tag there for, you know, a kid that was trying to slide in and he was a, a you know, a, a bigger kid and he was slow getting to second base. So I, I, I caught the ball and I'm just like waiting an hour for this kid to slide in. And like a dummy, I held the tag there instead of swiping when he slid in and he jammed my thumb and I broke it. That's the most, the biggest injury I've ever had. I've had hip flexors and stuff like that, but I always play through them, you know, when I'm playing basketball or whatever. But so, so the fact that he's 23 and he suffered a meniscus tear and a bone bruise for diving and not even being touched, it's, 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 it's a concern. So if I'm the Jets, this is what I would do. I'd say I screwed up as Joe, if I'm Joe Douglas, I screwed up. I want to capitalize off of the Deshaun Watson fiasco with the Browns because they're, they're in a spot right now, right? There's talks of Jimmy G going there. No, no, no. Forget Jimmy G. Why don't you guys take Zach Wilson off of our hands? Last year's number two overall pick. You take Zach Wilson off our hands. Give us a first or second round pick. Probably a second or third, maybe. They take Zach Wilson. And we go out and we trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Because I'm sorry, this roster that the Jets have, I know this division is stacked. I know Miami's going to be a problem. Although, are they really? I, I don't know. First-year head coach, Tyreek could be a pain if he's not getting the ball. He could be a nuisance. And Odell Beckham has more completions of 30-yard passes in his career as a wide receiver than Tua Tagovailoa does as a quarterback in his career. So that part is a problem as well. So I don't know if Miami's going to be truly a problem. Yes, the Jets haven't won a division game in two years. But what I do, go get Jimmy G because Jimmy G pro has proven time and time again through all the detractors and all the haters that he can win in this league. Is he a top flight, top 10, top 15 quarterback? Maybe not. But you can win Super Bowls with somebody like Jimmy G. And he got 
an unfair shake, just like Jared Goff when he took the 49, uh, the the uh, Rams to a Super Bowl and then comes up just short and they get rid of him. They're doing the same thing with Jimmy G. He took them to a Super Bowl and although they should have won that game, I don't really want to fault him for losing. Yes, he missed out on the deep ball uh, to Emmanuel Sanders that if he catches that, they probably win, but that's the breaks. So if you could bring in a quarterback, I think this Jets roster can win. If this Jets roster had a very good quarterback with the weapons they have, the emergence of Elijah Moore, the two-headed monster with Michael Carter and Brees Hall at running back. Garrett Wilson is a legitimate threat. I mean, Berrios in the slot. The defense is going to be is going to be much improved on the line side of things. Like you bring in a Jimmy G who who can win, I think this team would be satisfied. I think they would be okay departing with a Zach Wilson. Because you're going to improve the win total. You could get to eight or nine wins and flirt at least this first year with a playoff spot. I truly do believe that. So that's my take on the whole thing. I'm over I'm over it with Zach Wilson. Maybe he comes back by week two and he proves me wrong. But time and time again, I've been burned by this team. It's been over a decade. It's been 12 years going on 13 by the time, you know, this season the playoffs roll around in 2023 that the Jets have made the playoffs and we're coming one of the bottom bottom feeders and I'm just over it. I'm over it, man. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about that Pirates player that was suspended for one game and fined. You've seen it by now. Rodolfo Castro was sliding headfirst into third base when his iPhone flew out of his pocket. Everybody, including the announcers, were like, wait, what did we just see? Here it is. Castro slides into third. His phone comes out of his pocket. Now that's a first. And there's Adam Hammery. Dude, your phone is down. Hey, right there. <laughs> of course, that being the umpire who points it out. I I'm sure I, I, I spoke about this on the show. If not, um, I'm telling you now. He, of course, for whatever reason, had his iPhone it looked like the Pro Max version, too. The thing was huge in his back pocket, slides into head first, uh, sl slides into third base head first, and it flies out of his pocket. The umpire's like, dude, your phone is on the ground. So they pick it up and they get it. Um, yeah, he has been suspended one game and fined for violating Major League Baseball's electronic device policy. Of course, we have the Red Sox and Houston and all them to thank for that policy, I'm sure. All right, some other baseball news. The Texas Rangers fired manager Chris Woodward on Monday and then longtime GM John Daniels on Wednesday. Woodward was in the midst of his fourth season. Uh, the team was expected, much like the Angels, to really compete in that AL West, and they did not. The team went out in the offseason signing Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, as well as John Gray. I think that was to the tune of like $556 million they put into those guys, and they really haven't improved much. As of today, they're sitting in third place in the AL West, 13 games under 500. Now, real quick, as for Daniels, the GM, I didn't realize this, but he became the youngest GM in Major League Baseball history in 2005 at the ripe young age of 28. Eight. Oh my God. He was fired, like I said, on Wednesday, a week shy of his 45th birthday. That's a big deal because since his appointment, 
there's only been two surviving general managers to be hired by their current teams before 2010. Those being Brian Cashman of the Yankees and Mike Rizzo of the Nationals. And the way the Yankees are playing, Cashman could be in trouble, could could be in trouble. This could be the year. And for Rizzo, they traded, you know, they traded Soto, they traded Josh Bell, they're in a rebuild. And he could be in jeopardy because of an upcoming ownership change. So that's incredible. I did I did not know that about this guy. Another incredible story is Albert Pujols. He hit his first career pinch hit grand slam in the Cardinals win Thursday, upping his uh, career homer total to 690, just six shy of Alex Rodriguez and 10 shy of 700. Take a listen. It's not being able to throw that first pitch for a strike. Yeah, go ahead, Danny. Just incredible. He's 42 years old. He's set to retire after this season. We all know what he did in the home run derby, beating Schwarber, the one seed in the first round there. He currently leads all of baseball in the second half of the season with a 415 batting average. He he's first in OPS, like all the major uh offensive categories. He's first, granted in limited time. Um, so the real question now becomes let's have some fun with this. Whether Pujols can reach that milestone of 700. He needs 10 more. Um, he's currently at his current pace. He's homering every 17.3 at bats, but he's only played in 68 of 117 games. And with the Cardinals firmly in the playoff hunt, it's going to be hard for Pujols to get at bats and get on that field. However, the Cardinals have the second easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball, which means they're facing crappier pitchers and pitchers that he would have a high success rate off of or a better chance of facing or, or getting a home run off of. I mean, that grand slam he hit, it was low and in right in his wheelhouse. It was an absolute laser down the line, just got into the stands. Um, so can't believe I'm saying this, but Pujols still has a little bit left in the tank. And he's one, we take for granted all the time. We take this for granted, but Pujols is one of the greatest players in my lifetime and in uh, history of, of baseball. It's just incredible. The, some of the numbers that he has put up. It, insane. Insane. And can he catch A-Rod? We'll see. Six more. Um, it's a shame, too, for A-Rod that he didn't get the 700, but sometimes I think it's like, man, if I was one of these guys and I came up like just short, or you know, or Roberto Clemente that had exactly 3,000 hits for his career, it's like, wow, imagine if he only had 2,999, came up one shy. Like, there's for every guy that gets that milestone, there's a guy that just comes up short, and Pujols, for all we know, could be that guy that just comes up a little bit short. So it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch, and we'll see what's going on. Uh, the Cardinals have been, you know, tearing it up. It's incredible, uh, the turnaround season that they've had. So uh, they're going to be a problem. Okay, let's talk about uh, LeBron James. The Kings signed a two-year, $97 million extension with the Lakers on Wednesday. This brings his uh, career earnings, his total career earnings, up to $532 million, 
which actually surpasses Kevin Durant for the most ever. A little bit of a surprise, I would say, that LeBron signed so quickly, considering many expected him to opt for free agency in 2023. Although I'm hearing that the Lakers made it a priority. They informed him that they want to trade their their two future first-round picks to retool and recalibrate this roster so that they can compete. Um, if they get a healthy Anthony Davis back, this team could could make the playoffs. Uh, they should make the playoffs, but they're not going to compete uh, for a championship. I just don't see it. Of course, we still don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. Will he be traded to the Lakers? Uh, will Kevin Durant be traded there? Like, there, there's so many rumors that they want Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook in a return for for one or two of these guys. Um, but because of the whole clutch sports thing, which, you know, Rich, uh, excuse me, yeah, clutch sports, basically, these guys are not going anywhere in L.A. And I spoke about it about a month ago, how LeBron and Westbrook and A.D., they met together and they agreed to make this thing work. So being that they're all clients of Clutch, it, it just doesn't seem like that's a feasible option for them to allow them to make a trade with the Nets and uh, get that thing locked up. So we'll see. It's going on, what, six weeks now since KD requested a trade? And then he was in the news again this week because some stupid report uh, surfaced that KD is more likely to retire then play for the Nets if they don't trade him, which he said is an absolute joke. And the fact that anyone would believe that is ridiculous, which he's right, because I'm not going to believe any of it. All right. Um, so if you're doing the math, LeBron is now locked into L.A. for this season and next season, of course. He also has a $50 million option for the 24 excuse me, 2024-25 season. That's the same contract timeline as Anthony Davis. So what does that mean? Well, the 2024 draft will be the first year of NBA eligibility for Bronny James, LeBron's son, who many are speculating that he wants to play, finish out his career playing with his son, who made some headlines this week when he made some cool little dunk in a high school game or a showcase game or whatever. I'm not putting any stock into it. It's like whatever. Um, but I have no you know, doubt that the guy, the kid will be an NBA player. I mean, he's LeBron James' son, for God's sakes, but let's not make no mistake. Michael Jordan's son didn't make it to the NBA, and he was a Division I uh, basketball player. So just because your father is a professional, one of the best ever, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be as good. Well, we know he probably won't be as good, but whether he can make it and, and last in the NBA, we'll see. We'll see. All right, in other NBA news, this was really the biggest news of the week. The NBA released schedules for the 22-23 NBA regular season, which will tip off on Tuesday, October 18th, with a doubleheader on TNT as the 76ers visit the reigning Eastern Conference champion Celtics. And then the nightcap is the defending NBA champion Warriors. They will receive their championship rings before hosting the Lakers. So here's some notable uh, dates for the se upcoming season. The All-Star NBA All-Star Weekend will take place in Salt Lake City from February 17th to 19th. April 11th to 14th will be the play-in tournament. And then April 15th 
is when the playoffs will begin. June 1st will be the start of the NBA Finals, and we will have a slate of five games to be played on Christmas Day for the 15th year in a row. ESPN or ABC will televise each matchup. The 75th edition of the NBA on Christmas Day will tip off on ESPN as the Knicks host the 76ers at noon. Why are the Knicks on playing on Christmas Day? It just pisses me off. Anyway, the next three games will air on both ESPN and ABC with the Lakers visiting the Mavericks at 2.30, the Celtics hosting the Bucks in a 2022 Eastern Conference semis rematch at 5, and the Grizzlies will make their Christmas Day debut when they visit the Warriors in a wet, you know, Western Conference semifinals rematch at 8 p.m. This is what it's about. Put, it, put the Grizzlies and John Morant in there. That's a good move. And then uh, the Christmas Day schedule will conclude with the Nuggets meeting the Suns in Denver on ESPN at 1030. The, the thing that always gets me about Christmas is that noon game. It's always a little bit too early for me because it's like I, I'll put it on. Maybe I'm betting on it or whatever, and I really can't watch it. Then we're in the car driving to my aunt's about an hour or so away, and it's like you're missing most of that first game before the second game starts. So I wonder if anyone actually really gets to watch that first game in between opening presents and getting dressed and going to see family and all that good stuff. So, um, And then last but not least, the week of January 23rd, the NBA will have a Rivals Week. Um, basically, it will feature 11 nationally televised games across four networks over five days from Tuesday, January 24th through Saturday, January 28th. Rivalries will be the focus of all nine games across TNT, ESPN, and ABC that week, in addition to two games on NBA TV. And then I saw something on um, the NBA will also be taking off on election day, they're going to try to encourage more people to go out and vote um, on election day and all this other stuff. So they're just trying to um, make their mark on the community outside of basketball as a whole. Okay, let's switch back over to baseball. Um, the Yankees have been downright abysmal since the All-Star break. A once 14-game lead in the AL East has whittled down to single digits. It's eight. And because the Blue Jays just beat them today, they have now gone from losing five straight series to six series in a row. Um, the longest streak since the 95 season when Derek Jeter was called up. Uh, it's just insane. Um, they scored one run in the last three games leading up till Wednesday night. And for much of the game, it looked very bleak, this being a game against the Rays, who were up 3-0, then 4-2. Rizzo tied it in the eighth, and when it went to extras, that's when I decided to go to bed because I knew this could go one of two ways and probably was going to go one way. But, I'm, you know, I woke up to find out that Josh Donaldson actually hit a grand slam with the Yankees down three runs in the bottom half of the 10th inning. Here was the call. Pretty good one from John Sterling. An 0-1 to Donaldson. Swung on, hit in the air to right toward the line. That ball is going to be gone. It's a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam to win the game. Josh Donaldson powered one down the right field line into the seats. It's a grand slam. 
slam. That's Josh by gosh. And doing it with a nush. A grand slam, and the Yankees get a win. Oh, did they need that win? Wow. They give up three runs in the top of the 10th on Mejia's three-run double and fill the bases in the bottom of the 10th, and Donaldson hits a grand slam to win the ball game. Wow. Oh, what a game. Wow. What a game. Okay, yeah, so... Finally, right? The Yankees get a big deserved win. Um, I was actually going into that game thinking to bet the Yankees to win on the money line and then take the under. I'm glad I didn't. I was more leaning towards taking the Yankees to win. There was a boost on uh, DraftKings for a live a live bet. But uh, wow, I went to bed in that 10th inning there when it went to extras. And I can only imagine what the odds would have been with the with the 25% boost with the Yankees being down three runs, if anyone were to bet that. You'd have to be pretty crazy to bet that. Um, but again, people are nuts. I saw this week or last week that somebody placed a $100 bet on the Cubs to win the World Series. The Cubs are like 15-plus games back in the division and have zero chance to make the playoffs. Yet somebody bet them. Basically threw a hundred dollars down the toilet for the Cubs to win the World Series. Just in- incredible what people um will wait will throw away their money on. But anyway, figure this Grand Slam gets the Yankees out of their slump. Maybe this is the one that breaks them out of it. They have to come back immediately on Thursday and Friday and play the Blue Jays start of a four game set and. What we found out on Thursday in that opener against the Blue Jays is that, number one, all the Josh Donaldson Grand Slam did was put a Band-Aid for a few hours on what we've known since the start of the second half is that this ball club is terrible and is flawed and is looking at a first-round exit in the playoffs. Frankie Montas, who the Yankees went out and got because, oh my God, at the trade deadline, he's the number two best pitcher available. We can't go out and get Luis Castillo, though, the number one, because they want Anthony Volpe, who's the number five prospect in all of baseball, right? Which is fair. I wouldn't trade him either because the Yankees do have a a future issue at shortstop. IKF's been good. He hits for average. He's not a power guy. Um, and we all know about Glaber and his antics. Um and I ragged on him for being 0 for 20 and then them starting, uh, leading him off. And he's actually been hitting a little bit better, like seven for his last 21 with a couple of home runs. But here's the problem with the New York Yankees. They go out and get Montas and they trade Jordan Montgomery. And Montas in three starts with the Yankees, 14 innings has given up 14 runs. And Jordan Montgomery in three starts with the St. Louis Cardinals has given up one run and is 3-0. Best three-game stretch of his career, 0.54 ERA. But the Yankees had to trade Jordan Montgomery because he probably wasn't going to start in a playoff series. And we we have to tool, you know, get this get this team, this roster built and ready for a you know, for a David versus Goliath matchup with the Houston Astros, like in the ALCS, 
it's buffoonery because the Astros have, you know, too many righties in the lineup, not many lefties. So Montgomery can't pitch again. Like, I just, I can't, I, I can't. As somebody that knows this game to a T and understands it and coaches and knows the ins and outs more than a regular person, I just can't fathom some of the things that I have seen throughout baseball and namely with this organization. Greatest franchise in all of sports. Most championships in the history of sports. No, no denying that. That's just fact. But the way this or this franchise has been run since George Steinbrenner has died, he's turning over in his grave and he's cursing his son out. It's just, it's a joke. He wouldn't have stood for this. Boone would have been fired two years ago. They, they wouldn't stand for any of this. Joe Girardi would probably still be here and Gary Sanchez would have been the one that lost out and been shipped out. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke, some of what... I'm, the stuff I'm seeing. And now what, what makes it even worse is that the Yankees have been passed by the, by the New York Mets. The New York Mets are the talk of the town. They're this young, fiery group with the wily veteran coach in Buck Showalter, who mine used to coach the Yankees, and the Yankees could have rehired Buck Showalter over Aaron Boone if they truly wanted wanted to, but they didn't because they want that analytical guy. They want that, I'm not going to call out my players, I'm going to be your best friend, and la di da di da And what has Buck Showalter gotten the Mets to a first place in the NL East, although it's shrinking because the Braves are really kicking ass, but the Yankees sit at 73-48, and 48, and the Mets are 78 and 43. Five in the win column. It's ridiculous. The Yankees were the best team in baseball by a long shot the entire first half of the season. And yes, injuries have caught up to them. Thankfully, Stan is, is setting out on a rehab assignment just about 20 minutes away from where I live right now in Somerset um, with Anthony Volpe and those guys. But... He'll be there today and tomorrow, DHing, and then hopefully he'll come back next week, which we need him back. We did lose, yes, Michael King and Chad Green at the back half of the bullpen, which really hurt. Clay Holmes is now on the IL with back issues, and he's been abysmal in the second half. Um, and Chapman, the other, well, probably, I think it was yesterday, he was awful, couldn't find the strike zone, had to pull him out. I mean, they lose 4 nothing yesterday after a 9-2 to loss the day before that. And then today they lose, I think it was 4-2 to final today as well. 5-2, to excuse me. Matt Chapman hit a home run in the ninth inning after Glaber hit his in the eighth to make it 4-2. This team is scoring a little over two runs a game since the start of the second half, I believe. They were scoring over five runs a game in the first half. Over three-run difference. And only the Tigers have a worse record than the Yankees. I mean, it, this is, is, I've never seen a stretch this bad ever. And if you're a Yankee fan out there and you're like, oh, it's okay, you know, the, every team goes through this, they'll snap out of it. You're delusional. This is the same old Yankees coming into the season when they made the trades for Donaldson and they traded Urshela and got rid of Sanchez and all that stuff. It pissed me off simply for the fact that this team was so close in 2017, if not for the cheating Astros and then again in 2019, that this was a ball club that was built they could have won. 
And I get it. Sanchez just underperformed and underperformed and underperformed. They had to get rid of him. His catching ability was terrible. And I love me some Jose Trevino. He's on my fantasy team. He's killing it. He had like two or three more hits again today. He's phenomenal. But none of it has worked. IKF was supposed to be such a great defensive shortstop, and he's made a bunch of errors. He's been great of late, but it's just, my God, what is going on with this? The ineptitude. The Yankees are, are, are turning in to the Mets. The Mets are the ones that usually have the second half collapse, not the Yankees, and the Yankees are the ones doing it. And if they're not careful, they will blow this division lead to the uh, to the Rays or to the Blue Jays and even the Orioles who are sitting in third place and are fighting for, for a playoff spot. It's incredible how anemic this team has been and unwatchable they are. I was getting ready for this episode and I had the game on in the background and I'm, I've watched the entire game. Like, am I delusional? Am I psychotic for putting myself through that misery? Five to two today, four, nothing yesterday, nine to two, the game before the game before that on Wednesday. Yes. They get the grand slam and win games before that. They can't score runs against raised pitchers. I've never heard of. These are guys that they should be dominating against. And just when you think the Yankees are finally, you know, they call up a couple of young guys as Waldo Cabrera and Estevan Floriel, two of their top 15 prospects. Floriel's been here before, never really has done much in limited time. And Cabrera makes a, 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 a game-saving first pitch of the game. He robs a home run in right field. He's an infielder. They put him out in right field. He looked like a natural, robs a home run. What does he do again today? And then he picks up a pair, a, a couple of pairs of, a pair of hits, including a double. Um, youngest player since Derek Jeter to do that in his first or second game. And Floriel makes a beautiful catch yesterday, a shoestring catch in center field. And then Cabrera uh, makes a, a Derek Jeter-esque when he flies into the stands type of catch and bangs his face today. Like these are the little things that you think are going to are gonna hype this team up. And then Judge makes a, a, a ridiculous catch in right field today, robbing a home run. It was sweet. And like these little things are supposed to re-energize this organization and a team. And those are the types of things that you build off of and you go out and score runs and Floriel gets an RBI single today and the fifth inning comes around and Garrett Cole loses it. Jackie Bradley Jr. smokes one to left off the wall. Ben Benintendi jumps over up the wall and can't get to it. And then he's hobbling a little bit. And they just can't get out of their own way. The bullpen's been awful. Garrett Cole has now lost six straight starts. I believe that was the stat. So it's just, it's absurd. That goes back. That's the worst uh, streak in any season since 2016, back, I think, when he was with the Pirates. Uh, I mean, the problem with the Yankees right now is you need to be, everything needs to be perfect. The pitching needs to be perfect in order for them to win like one to or two to nothing, and it's not happening. And Garrett Cole didn't pitch terribly today. He was dominating through those first four innings. And then the fifth inning that Jackie Bradley Jr. hit, that was ridiculous. I mean, the pitch was really good. He just stuck his bat out there and, and got some barrel on it. And, and you know, just some tough luck. And, and they're, this is what's happening. Everything is going wrong for this team and they just can't get out of their own way. And even with the call-ups of the young guys, they're overshadowed by their crosstown rival, 
uh, the New York Mets because they called up the next David Wright, some of them are calling, third baseman Brett Beatty, who in his first at-bat in the big leagues did this. I mean, a phenomenal year. Gets a breaking ball and hits it out to Ryan. Acuna goes back to the warning track, looks up, and oh. it's out of here! How about that? Brett Beatty hits a two-run homer in his first major league at-bat. Second pitch he sees, and Beatty hits it out of the yard. A moment to remember for Brett Beatty and his family. A 2-1 homer, and it's 4-0 New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was much needed um, in a series against the Braves in which they had been outscored like 18-1 to coming into that game in the first two games of the series. They would get a big win there. Um I'll have more on that series a little bit later, but I want to switch over now and talk a little NFL. So Tom Brady, I don't think I mentioned it on last week's episode because I wasn't too concerned with it, but I think this is pretty funny at this point. Uh, Brady left the team for a personal matter. Um, and when you hear personal matter, you think that's that's serious. I know his mom has had cancer in the past. Like you, you pray it's not something um, health wise with any of his family members or his kids or his wife or his parents or sisters or anything like that. Right. So at the time, Todd Bowles said he won't be back until after Tennessee, which after Tennessee, that that's the game today, Saturday, August 20th. That game is today. However, since that statement, Bowles has made it clear he's not entirely sure when Brady will be back. I was hearing like 11 days, maybe two weeks he'll be back. And it's Tom Brady. You're like, all right, he doesn't need practice reps. He's not going to play in the preseason. You know, why is this a thing? Well, the new rumor that I'm hearing that's circulating is that Tom Brady's away from the team because he's taping for The Masked Singer. If you don't know, The Masked Singer is a reality um singing competition where celebrities come on the show in a costume. It could be an alien. It could be now Mark Sanchez did this and I forget Mark Sanchez. It was like a two part um, costume. It was like a one of its kind. He was like puppeteering this costume inside of it while he was singing. It's very elaborate. It's very, it's very cool. And you, you know, they, they mask their voices and they give you clues before they go out. And then you try to guess the judges will try to guess who that person is, who the celebrity is under there. Barry Zudo has been on it before. A lot of, you know, celebrities, Terry Bradshaw, um, Antonio Brown, et cetera, right? They've been on it. And it's a fun show. So here's the thing. You don't get revealed until you're eliminated. So I'm wondering if this is taking a little bit longer because Tom Brady is doing a little bit too good and he didn't get eliminated yet. So could that be why they're still taping? Because they do it in front of a live studio audience and whatnot. And it's like supposedly super secret with, with um, you know, they're always masked up around the studio and there's bodyguards and it's just whole, whole shtick. But first off, like I said, I hope it's not a family or health or medical issue. Um, second off, if this is true and he is taping for the mass Singer or doing some movie or documentary or whatever it is, I have no problem with it. And anybody that does, can kick rocks because this is Tom Brady's seven-time Super Bowl champ. And if he wants some time off, let him have it because he earned it and he operates on a different set of rules. And that's that. Okay, so back to the Mets and Braves. So the Atlanta Braves took the series from the New York Mets 
Um, they're sitting about three and a half games back, although the Mets just beat the Phillies 9-2 or 8-2 to uh, in their doubleheader, uh, the first game of their doubleheader today. Um, so they that was a good win there. Uh, but the Braves, they locked down their 21-year-old outfielder, Michael Harris, the second on an eight-year, $72 million deal, very friendly, with options that could bring it to $102 million over 10 years. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a player who was promoted to the big leagues directly from AA in May. The new contract came just 15 days after the Braves signed third baseman Austin Riley to a 10-year, $212 million extension, and six months after signing Matt Olson to an eight-year deal less than 24 hours after trading for him. Atlanta also signed Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies to team-friendly deals years ago. So if I'm in that NL East and in the National League, I'd be wary of the Atlanta Braves because they're going to be good for years to come. Now, all good for the Braves, except after they beat the Mets, won that series. Apparently, Marcelo Zuna did a little too much partying. So, Marcel was pulled over um, in Florida, I want to say. And I guess he was speeding. It was like 4.30 in the morning. There's footage from the cop. I'm not going to play the audio. It's a little bit grainy. But the cop says, hey, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And I think Ozuna immediately is trying to speak to the guy in Spanish or something. I don't know. Or maybe he was on the phone. I don't know. But then he's like, oh, sorry. And then he proceeds to say, I'm Ozuna from the Braves. And then the guy's like, okay, no, you know, no worries. And he starts very friendly conversation. It didn't escalate. Um, Ozuna cooperated from everything I heard in the reports. He was arrested and booked on a DUI because he was drinking. Uh, this is a guy that beat his fiance, was suspended for like over a year. And because he's, you know, who he is, he doesn't do jail time and he's able to come out of it. This isn't a terribly big deal, but I saw a lot of people dragging him through the mud. I think he he told him he was Ozuna from the Braves. He handed him his um, license as well as his Players Association, like Union ID, which again, I have no problem with. This is, it's early hours of the morning. Um, it's probably, people don't realize traffic stops. You could go on YouTube and look up deadly traffic stops and you will see horrific, might not find it on YouTube, but I'm sure there's other places you can find it. I've seen some crazy stuff traffic stops that escalate and cops in a blink of a second get shot and killed you like those are such stressful situations because you don't know the person that you're pulling over at all it's just you're seeing a dark-skinned man that's a, he's a big dude marcelo zuna is a big dude he's an athlete he's well over six feet tall so this is a big dude it's a little intimidating no matter who you are whether it's a female cop a male cop somebody that's been you know on the force for 10, 15, 20 years or a rookie, it's intimidating. So for him to say, I'm Ozuna on the Braves, I think is wonderful. I think every athlete should do it and every celebrity should do it because it totally de-escalates the situation. And if it were me, I probably would have been like, oh snap, I know who this is. He wouldn't have even had to probably tell me. And But by telling him that, it de-escalates the situation. It tells the cop like, okay, I'm not dealing with somebody that is going to have you know, um, warrants or anything like that. And he's not a criminal. He's not somebody that I have to worry about. So he was booked and probably released. 
and somebody's ringing my doorbell and nobody's home. So let me see who's ringing the doorbell. Give me one second here. Yeah, I am not answering the door for her. She can wait. It's probably some telemarketer or somebody going door to door. Um, so I will not be answering the door so she could keep trying to ring it all she wants. I will not be answering. And she interrupted my podcast. So even more of a reason I won't be stopping to answer the front door. Okay, so yeah, what Marcelo Zuna did, I highly encourage all athletes or celebrities to do. And yes, was he doing it maybe to try to get out of the ticket? So the guy's like, oh man, you're Ozuna from the Braves. Here you go. I'm. It's just a warning. And you no, no, that's ridiculous. He was drinking and driving. He's got booked on a DUI and we'll move on. But I think it was a smart move to tell him who he was. And whether, you know, he faces any discipline from this, the Braves were made aware. We'll see what happens um, moving forward if he gets suspended or whatever. Okay, some sad news to report. Pete Carrill, the former Princeton basketball coach, died Monday at the age of 92. Carrill is known as the originator of the Princeton offense, which deployed a two-guard system, didn't really require a great point guard. It was totally revolutionary and complex when he implemented it. It was impossible to defend. They did back cuts. Point guards would post up. Big men would pass and shoot jumpers like, stuff you've never seen before. And if that sounds pretty familiar, that's because that's the way of the game pretty much today. It has become one of the most copied offensive systems in the history of the game of basketball. And way back when, in 1989, the NCAA tournament, Princeton, as a 16 seed, almost knocked off number one Georgetown. It came down to the wire. Georgetown only won on a last-second Alonzo morning block to seal a 50-49 win for the Hoyas. Um, they would end up coming back a few years later, I think, and getting an upset win over uh, UCLA, who was the champions the year before. But during his 29-year run at Princeton, they did only win two NCAA tournament games, although they did win the 1975 NIT. But his record with non-scholarship players, I mean, he's, we're talking an Ivy League school here, and his stature amongst his coaching peers led to his induction into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1997. That really shows you what, how accomplished this guy really was and, and how respected he was in the sport. He was as good as any. And just because he coached at Princeton and didn't win a whole lot, he could have probably gone anywhere and, and won with the best of them, with the Coach K's and the Calipari's and the Roy Williams's and, and all of those guys but he chose to coach at Princeton. And after he retired from Princeton, he sp actually spent 10 years as an assistant and consultant with the Sacramento Kings. So RIP to one of the greatest legends the sport has ever known. All right, what to watch this weekend. There's a new two-part documentary exploring the Manti Teow catfishing scandal, which is chock full of interviews with Manti and the catfisher himself or themselves um there is because the uh the person that catfished i want to get this right the person that catfished um manti teo at the time i want to say was a man but now 
is identifies, they even said it at the top of the um, intro of the documentary, this person now identifies as a transgender. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get that right, but it's very interesting. I got about 30 minutes or so in, and then I had to stop for other stuff that I was dealing with. So I'm probably going to finish watching that today. Um, there's also a new Lakers documentary on Hulu called Legacy. This kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't really aware that this was coming out. So far, there have been two episodes with a third set to drop on Monday. We've also got, excuse me, Hard Knocks, which I failed to mention last week. Um, Hard Knocks with the Lions. I believe there's been two episodes, and I've got a really cool clip that I want to play from the latest episode of Hard Knocks with, um, I think this was courtesy of Jamal Williams at practice. This was just, I thought this was hysterical. Not hysterical, but it's a very powerful and emotional, and he actually gets choked up. Um, so take a listen. Jamal Williams, bring it up. Bring it up, bring it up. I wanna let y'all know, man, today is the minimum of effort. Do not give up. Do not feel like you tired. Were you tired? Think of last year and think of that record. Every time I get tired or I think I can't go no more, I think of that record. Last year wasn't it. That ain't us. We can make it. Have some heart. I get emotional about this. I'm about to cry because I care about y'all. Do your best. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Lions. I mean, are you kidding me? That is somebody you want to go to war with. That is a teammate that you will fight for and that you will give your maximum effort for. So amazing stuff there. I always love watching, uh, seeing this type of dynamic or getting to see the behind the scenes stuff that takes place with teams and and players and, and different things of the like. So um, that's something I, I didn't watch Hard Knocks probably the last couple of years. But I, I might, after watching that clip, I might have to go back and, and watch them because you've got Dan Campbell, who's just a character in and of himself, uh, just amazing. So uh, it's something to check an eye out on. And then for those of you that are non-sports uh, people are looking to just break away from sports, guess what debuts on Sunday at 9? You guessed it. House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel. So that will be Sunday at 9 on HBO. I'm going to definitely check that out because the way Game of Thrones ended, um, they've got to do better. And so we get the prequel House of the Dragon. There's also a full slate of preseason games. We've got Red Sox, Orioles, and Yankees. Blue Jays wild one last night between the Orioles and Red Sox. I think it was like 15 to 10 at one point. I don't know if that's what it, the final finished at. Yeah, Orioles won that game 15 to 10. You've got, of course, Yankees. Blue Jays will wrap things up tomorrow after dropping the first three in that series. Um, these are big series taking place in the best division in baseball, the AL East. Yankees lead is down to eight games. It's now probably less than that. It's down to seven. Toronto jumped Tampa Bay. It's down to seven. Yankees are two and eight in their last 10. It's just ridiculous. Um, then you've got the Mets. They lost their first division series of the season to the Braves. As I mentioned, they hold about a three and a half game lead and have a big series with the Phillies this weekend, including a doubleheader today. Like I said, though, they just won the first um, leg of today's doubleheader 
over the Phillies, who have been resurgent as well themselves. Um, not going to win, make a run at that NL East, but they're making a push for the playoffs there. They are holding uh, one of the, the second wild card spot. So uh, a half game above the Padres and then one game above the Brewers and five and a half above the uh, Giants. Okay. Also, you've got the Little League World Series in full swing now. Um, there was a crazy, crazy sad report that came out earlier. I, this might have been last week or at the beginning of the week. So um, Snow Canyon Little League from Utah, they became the first ever team from Utah to make the Little League World Series. One of their players, Easton Oliverson, was involved in a freak accident in the dormitories there in Williamsport. Oliverson fell out of his bunk bed in the middle of the night and cracked his skull, fractured his skull, actually. He was rushed to the hospital and placed in a coma. Thankfully, I've been following things on social media. You've had guys like Mookie Betts and Matt Carpenter and different celebrities reach out and wish him, you know, well wishes and, and prayers. And uh, uh, there was a report that his best friend from back home was talking to him on the phone while he was in a coma. And he told him to, like, give him a thumbs up or raise his hand. And then he did it with both hands, like, and then so finally, he's actually, as of yesterday, he's out of his coma. He's out of the coma. He's talking. He was able to drink and eat. And uh, his motor skills are a little messed up, but he's hopefully on his, his road to recovery. I saw all the scans. Doctors are encouraged. Everything looks great. And if it can't get any better than him being able to wake up and start his recovery, the Snow Canyon Little League team was down a man. So they needed a replacement. Who did they call upon? The team named Easton's brother, his younger brother, Brogan, as his replacement. How cool is that? And although they lost their first game against Nolansville um, yesterday, 11-2, to they will play in an elimination game tomorrow at 9 a.m. on ESPN. What, listen, whether they win or lose, this team will be remembered. It takes a lot of courage to go out there and compete, you know, knowing your teammate is fighting in a hospital bed you know, to get better. So kudos to this group and best wishes to Easton and his road to recovery and good luck to the Snow Canyon Little League team tomorrow morning in that elimination game. Um, uh, last but not least, on this date, August 20th, 2000, Tiger Woods defeated Bob May in a three-hole playoff to win the PGA Championship at Valhalla. Woods became the first golfer since Ben Hogan in 1953 to win three majors in a calendar year. And it's only fitting that on this date in sports, it has to do with Tiger Woods since I mentioned him earlier, organizing that meeting between other top players on the PGA. And it was also announced that Tiger will be uh, the face and on the cover of 2K23's PGA Tour video game, which I will definitely be copying that because that's always a fun game to play. Um, I had the one from 2021, I believe, with um, uh, Justin Thomas on the cover. That's who it was. So, and then finally, usually I I let the show ends right there with on this date in sports, but I've got to got to play this final final segment. Um. This is the funniest thing I've seen on the internet this week. It comes courtesy of an NIL deal by Nebraska 
wide receiver, the coldest Crawford. Let me listen closely. Let me repeat that. His name is D coldest and he plays for Scott Frost. I mean, really, we can't make this stuff up. So yeah, naturally, the coldest snagged a deal making a cameo in a commercial for a local heating and cooling company. It's quite cringeworthy, but it's also hysterical. So I will leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy your weekend in all of its glory. Enjoy that weather and take a listen to DeColdest Crawford in his commercial for a local heating and cooling company in Lincoln, Nebraska. Have a good weekend. I'll see everybody for episode 183 next week. This is the Pody signing off. I'm so glad we called SOS. Our AC is the coldest. I'm always the coldest. SOS to the rescue. Hey, this is Dakota Crawford, Rod receiver from Louisiana, now playing in Lincoln. When your AC isn't the coldest, you call SOS heating and cooling. Their takes don't make commissions, so they give you an honest opinion, fair pricing, and longer warranties than a competition guarantee. Take it from the coldest. We'll keep you cool this summer. SOS. SOS.